Um, okay. Hey, I've actually, uh, I guess there's a bit of a transport theme going on, you think? Maybe not a transport really, but uh, if we could see up on the screen, I've got a picture I want you to have a look at. Okay, any moment now? Back of my head. Yeah, hey, uh, this is, um, anybody know what this is? It's a car, okay, you know, you guys are really clever, that's good, yeah. Um, anybody know what sort of car it actually is? A Nissan Irvan, who said that? I can't see because the lights are really bright. Oh, I see, I see. Does anybody own one of those? That's good, I can have the prayer team stand down. Um, excellent. We, um, we used to own one of those, I bought one of those in 1984, that's a 1983 model, um, when I went with my wife to, to buy this, we wanted like a van because we were in a church and we thought we'd put, you know, young people in there or whatever. So we went to this car yard. We were living in Sydney. It was Capital Motors. And um, so we, um, we turned up and, and this, this guy, this car salesman, came up to me and he actually said to me, first thing he said was, do you believe in fairy godmothers? I'm going, no. He said, well... Do you, do you believe in fairy godfathers? And I'm going, no, no, not really. I, you know, I don't really believe anything like that. He says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to change your life. And then he pointed to this thing, right? And uh, so basically he was trying to sell the car to me that this was a life-changing experience. Nissan Irvan, life-changing experience. Do you want to know how my life changed? Okay, let me tell you. Well, thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. Every audience needs one of you. Um, one month later, I'm no longer driving in this thing. This is what I'm actually sitting in. Can we see the next slide? Whoa. That is a paddy wagon. One month after buying the Nissan Irvan, my wife, myself, and two friends are actually sitting in the back of one of those on a Saturday afternoon wearing wetsuits. Who's ever been arrested in a wetsuit? It's not easy. <laughs> we weren't arrested, by the way. In fact, what had actually happened is we'd taken the Irvan out. We had friends. We wanted a big car. We were doing a scuba diving course in uh, Sydney. Uh, we actually went to a place called Clavelli. It was too rough, so they said, leave the diving uh, gear in the car, but put the wetsuit on, do some snorkeling. So we you know, put the wetsuits on, put our fins on, went and put our bag in the, you know, on the beach with our keys and everything and wallets and all of that, and when we got out of the water, couldn't find the bag anywhere. Really strange, bag, can't find the bag anywhere. Came up to the car park, couldn't find the car park, the car there anywhere either, because somebody had stolen our bag and stolen our car. So here we are in a car park, about 4 p.m., Saturday afternoon, wearing wetsuits, nothing else, and um, somebody called the police for us, you know, no mobile phones in those days, this is 1984, and um, all of a sudden the police turned up and said, yeah, look, we'll tell them you know, your car's actually missing. And we said, well, what about us? Well, what are we going to do? We have no money, no car, no nothing. And they said, well, you can't get in the back of a paddy wagon. You have to be arrested. So I actually said, well, how about I throw a rock in a shop window? And they agreed to actually give us a ride home, which was really nice. And so we're actually sitting in this car, and, and my wife is actually crying. You know, she probably never thought her marriage would end up this way. And um, so I said, what are you upset about? And she said, my pink shorts were in those car, in that car, and they were such a great fit. 
must be a girl thing. I've never really had that sort of issue. But see, this guy basically promised me if I bought this car, then my life would be all sorted out. Well, it wasn't, was it? The car was missing in a month, never saw it again. We did get the pink shorts back. They didn't want them. Isn't that interesting? But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that in this world, everybody seems to have a solution to try to say, if you do this, then your life will be really meaningful. And we get bombarded with stuff like that. We get bombarded with messages of people saying, do this, buy that. If you have one of those, you've got to have the right phone, an Android. Um, I'm actually using a Windows phone now. I've moved on. I've actually uh, evolved. But um, the reality is everybody's got these messages. And, you know, the truth about it is, is that most of them don't work. The fact that we struggle for meaning in life is not solved by some of these really crazy and expensive solutions. Now, this is what I really want to say. Life can be extremely meaningful. It can be. But a lot of the time, our experience is that it's not. And so, we all go around looking for ways to put meaning into it. And the first thing you need to know, a Nissan Irvan isn't going to cut it. Now, if you wanted to find a way to put meaning in your life, I guess one of the best things you might think to do is to find out, well, who are the most successful people in this world? Surely people of great success, they'll know how to really put meaning in their life. They're living the good life. Now, you might think, um, who's the richest person in the world now? Gatesy. Gatesy. <laughs> yeah, I think he is. I, I actually think he is. I think he's only worth about 60 or 70 billion. Yeah, yeah, anyway. He does it tough every so often. But... Um, there are people who have lived, believe it or not, who have had far much more money and success and power and the ability, if you could actually organize it to put meaning in your life yourself, there are people who have been far much more successful than, say, somebody like Bill Gates. And one of the people that we really should look to is, is possibly the person who is the richest, most powerful um, cleverest person in history. And his name was Solomon. And he was the king of Israel. He was the son of David. And he's somebody who had everything and thought at one point in his life he could put the meaning in his life that he was actually missing. He could get the satisfaction in life that he was really after. So what does he actually have to say? If we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to uh, 4, this is what we read. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, this is Solomon, this is what his response to life is. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Did you sort of catch on to what he was saying? <laughs> kind of repeated, doesn't he? He goes on to say, what do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Wow, that's really, really kind of very, uh, very tragic, isn't it, the point that he's actually making? Now, there is incredible meaning to be had in life if you know how to get it, but if you don't, 
That's kind of a pretty sad existence. And look what he says there in, um, like, particularly verses 3 and 4. He talks about the fact that people actually come and they live and they produce and they go and nobody really misses them. Well, they don't miss them for very long. Who's ever done any of that genealogical stuff here where you've done your family tree? Gee, it's good to know there's a lot of really interested people here. Um, there was a hand that kind of half went up the back, so you just do one side of your family, not the other? Is that what I'm thinking? Um, why do people do genealogies? It's because nobody remembers our forebears. I only found out about a year or so ago how my, um, my great-grandparents died. I'm not sharing it, but I only found out a year or so ago. I mean, nobody knows stuff like this. If you go to some cemeteries, particularly some of the older ones in, um, in Tasmania, because this is a pretty old place here, one of the oldest places in Australia, you'll go to these graveyards, you can hardly even see the names of the people on the graves. Nobody remembers them. It's like nobody cares anymore. It's like there's hardly any proof that they were ever here at all. And, and what Solomon is saying is, hang on, how can life be meaningful if you just kind of hear for a moment and you go, and nobody remembers. So you know what he did? He decided that he was going to try and do something about it. He, was, he decided that he was going to try and find a way with all his cleverness and all of his wealth to put meaning in his life himself. And this is what he said. He decided he'd do it through wisdom or education. Look at what he says. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Then he goes on to say, I have seen all things that are done under the sun and all of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Kids, you can go home and tell your parents you have no need to go to school ever again. Don't do that. He's not saying that education and learning things isn't helpful. He's not saying that studying isn't important and whatever, because there are lots of good things we can learn and study. But in terms of it sorting out your life and giving you meaning, it will not do that. It does not have that ability. Its purpose is to give you some information to do certain things, but the real sense of meaning and the satisfaction that come from it really aren't found in universities or schools or books. This is the guy whom the Bible says was the most wise man on earth, but he realized in his wisdom that you don't get meaning from being wise. And the really cool thing is you don't have to have an IQ of 170. You know what I'm saying? Just be yourself and, and find out what the true way is. So if it's not through maybe wisdom or education or something like that, well, what's another way that you could try to find meaning? Well, you know what Solomon did? This guy who had unlimited funds and opportunity, he was this great ruler, nobody could say no to him. He could do pretty much whatever he wanted. 
He sounds like a teenager, doesn't he? Trying to really think that's how the world works, you know? You kind of, you guys are getting older, you kind of realise that when you're really young, you think when you're old, you can do whatever you like, but it doesn't work that way. But he got away with it for a while. This is what he says. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved meaningless. Look at this, I denied nothing my eyes desired. Nothing. Nobody could say no to him. He could do whatever he wanted, had lots of money. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labour, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, I want to tell you something about this, and it's probably a good thing to think through when you're sort of growing up a bit. This guy liked women a whole lot, okay? He had 700 wives and then like 300 concubines, which is kind of like women he had sex with, but they weren't even his wives. Can you actually fathom that? Can you believe that? Somehow he thought through pleasure like that. And the crazy thing is, every generation kind of thinks the same. We kind of think, wow, you know, look at somebody, you know, and you think, wow, they look really attractive, and gee, if I did this and I did that, then I'd feel really good. But you know what Solomon found out? He found out the human beings weren't really designed for that. When, when God designed us, it was one man and one woman. And we found meaning in a relationship under Him with each other. We weren't designed to have all of these different partners and to treat sex casually and stuff like that. And I guess just the thing I want to share with you is that 3,000 years ago, a guy sorted it out. But the rest of us, maybe we're trying to catch on. We weren't created for that. Women certainly weren't created to be one of 700 to 1,000 for one guy in his stable. Women were created to be treated with respect by guys, okay? And we find some meaning when you understand things, when we understand the purpose for which things were created. And that's kind of the secret here. We don't find meaning from sitting down and looking at things and saying, well, this is my way, I'm going to do it this way. No. We find meaning and we find true satisfaction when we actually look to God and understand that the Creator has explained to us how the creation is meant to operate. Now, I'm not saying to you guys, hey, look, don't do anything bad and naughty because, you know, I don't want you to. I'm saying that to you because things don't work when you do. But when we follow God, things can work really well. The great problem, you know, I've found over the years is when I've talked to people who have sort of gone, gone down that road of just, you know, like 110% pleasure, is that the way it, it's so destructive that even when you come to God and you sort it out, it's really pretty hard to sort a lot of that stuff out. There was one guy that I knew, and he's a lovely guy, and he came to see me one day, and um, he... he I think he'd become a Christian. I'm not sure about that. I don't want to suggest he had if he hadn't, but I think he may have. 
And he said to me, I've had like seven partners and nine children. Who do I go back to? Okay, which is the one I'm meant to go back to? You know what I told him? I haven't got a clue. I don't know. It's really hard to fix some things that we break. Now, God's forgiving and I want to encourage you about that. But there are consequences too from our actions. And Solomon had a lot of consequences in his life. This is what God actually wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that true meaning and the satisfaction that follows from it is found when we listen to Him and we do things the way He wants us to do. It actually says in verse 26, to the person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering up and storing up the wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases. This too pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, meaning referring to the one that has to hand it all over. What's it really saying here? How do we please God? Because that's what it says we need to do. That's where we find satisfaction. You know, it's not really about doing anything in the classic sense of the word. It's about receiving Jesus, the way you and I please God is by our willingness to say, I accept you, Jesus, into my life. I really believe and I'm going to believe now that you are the Son of God. You've died on a cross for my sins and that by trusting in you, by trusting in you, I can find meaning in my life and give God pleasure and have pleasure myself. Many people have been finding out that truth for thousands of years and having their lives changed. This whole series is about simplifying our lives and there is nothing more simple than actually working out what God's way is and following it. It's, 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 it's kind of like, well, what am I meant to do in this situation? Put your trust in Jesus. And there, there is other stuff and at the church here, we, we have a pathway we put people on. We have Alpha that teaches about Jesus. We have a lot of different courses. But, you know, what it really is about is putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And those things just follow on. Those things help us to understand. I had um, a friend come and see me um, when I was uh, a pastor in the U.S. And this was the guy in my church. And this guy was a lovely, lovely man. He was an incredible man, and um, he was extremely successful. Now, when I talk about the sort of success this guy had, I mean, this is kind of like a big hitting success. He used to write personal checks for $500 million to a billion dollars. Yeah, I reckon. Wouldn't mind being on a bit of that action, would you? <laughs> so, um, so he came to see me one day. And, you know, he was a great guy in our church and people loved him and he was a really generous guy. I don't mean just with the paper. He, he was pretty generous there too. But when people would have problems, he'd really try to help them. And, like, seriously, if a kid turns up wanting to set up a lemonade stand, he'd show them how to turn it into a business. All of a sudden, this kid would be running Schweppes next week or something like that, you know. He was just a really good guy. And um, he was just very generous. And so he came to see me one day and, you know, we sat down and had a bit of a chat and he said, look, you know, I, I'm just not feeling real happy at the moment. I said, well, 
what's going on? You know, what's the deal? And he said, well, I just really cut this really big deal last week. And I said, yeah, I saw it in the paper. Pretty impressive, you know. And he said, yeah, he said, I, you know, but I, 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 don't, I just don't feel really good about it. I don't feel like I should feel about it. And I said, well, what did you think this deal would do for you? He said, I don't know. I thought, I thought it would really fulfill me somehow. I thought it would make me feel really satisfied and good. And he said, I don't feel good at all. And as we got talking and praying, one of the things I found out about this guy, and trust me, he's a lovely, lovely man and a godly guy too, but there was a lot of pain in his life. And, you know, what really happened was that somehow some of the things he felt about himself that weren't, nobody else would believe he'd think this way, everybody thought he's so successful, right? But these business deals had become a way for him to try to be acceptable to himself and think he could make himself acceptable to other people. But each time he did one of these deals, he'd feel flat. And so we prayed and, you know, it was really good because, you know, when we prayed, Jesus came and talked to him about his stuff and he got a lot of freedom. But the truth of it was, even though these business deals were good and he was generous and he gave to the church and he was really just kind to people and whatever, he kind of had to learn the big the big picture, the big message, that we don't get our meaning from doing things like that. We find our meaning in Jesus when we put our faith and trust in Him. And we do these other things and they can be good. And we probably want to keep doing those other things as well. But for the right reasons, not to find our meaning in them. Now, I can see the way some of you guys are looking at me. Yeah, I can. I can. You probably noticed this, haven't you? Who noticed this? You're all lying. You haven't put up your hands. This is a band two. Who knows what a band two is? You know that wisdom thing? Maybe do a bit more of that. Um, <laughs> just joking. I'm just, I'm just joking. This is actually like one of those um, really, this is, this is serious geekdom, okay? It's like one of those watches that, you know, you get your, your emails on and you get your texts on and it tells you the temperature, um, it tells you when you should be finished speaking five minutes ago and, um, you know, it does all of this really cool stuff but when I got it, I had no idea that there was a pedometer on it which would actually tell certain people how much activity I do each day and, and the, you know, some of those certain people would be my wife who's a physiotherapist. So I come home every day and she's going, how far have you walked today? Show me your watch. No, I'm not showing you my watch. <laughs> you probably don't understand, but her middle name is Portion Control. Okay? That is, that, I haven't got an birth certificate, but I have it on good record. <laughs> that is her middle name, right? And she, she's going, you're not getting any dessert. You haven't walked enough. I'm going, I'm walk, I've walked plenty, you know? <laughs> So anyway, my son, I don't know if some of you guys have met my son Judah, he, he normally comes in the morning and he's living with us now and he's an exercise physiologist but he's really fit, he kind of runs 10, 15 kilometres every day, you know, and it's really impressive, he comes up to me last week and he says, Dad, for the right amount of money I wear your watch running for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said something like, get behind thee, Satan. 
And then I said, how much are we talking about? <laughs> Guys, we always find ways of thinking we can get around things and little systems and whatever. And yeah, I can give my watch to my son. I actually thought of giving it, you know, paying a couple of taxi drivers to drive it around once. <laughs> how much have you done today? 600 kilometers. <laughs> Gee, you're not looking very good for it, are you? You know, we, we always think we can get around breaking the, you know, the rules and doing our own way. Solomon tried it. He did it better than anybody could possibly do it, and it was a mess, and he didn't find satisfaction, and he didn't find meaning. And the truth of it is, that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. He's our creator. He's our maker. And you and I were designed to follow him. That's how we work properly. I'm just going to pray a prayer now. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you've never come to that point where you've said, look, I realize this is what I've got to do. This is the time you can do it. I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm just going to do some, some words at different times. If you want to pray that prayer, please do it. Please do it. And don't do it for me and don't do it for anybody sitting beside you. It's not about impressing anybody. What it's about is sorting out things with Jesus. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? This is all you have to say, something like this. Lord God, I'm sorry for not following you before. That's it. Lord God, I'm sorry for not following you before. I ask forgiveness for this. Forgiveness for this. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe Jesus is your son. And he died on the cross for my sins. And he died on the cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for this, Lord Jesus. I commit myself to following you. I commit myself to following you all the days of my life with your strength and your encouragement. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God tonight. And myself and some others, Steve and some other people, we're going to be down here at the front and there's Sam and there's all sorts of people. Come up and tell us because that's a beginning. That is a wonderful beginning and we want to encourage you and how to take that decision you may have made tonight and move on in it and grow in it god bless have a wonderful evening